Let's open up to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 9. Somebody say, New Year, same God. One more time, New Year, same God. Amen. We're going to go through our vision, strategy, and goal, starting with the name of our church. Every year we like to refocus on what we're here to do. Many of you have been a part of other churches, and you might see that that is unique about us, that we have a certain strategy, vision, goal that's gone over every week, that we are focused in that. That is something that the Lord did in my heart early on. So as you're turning to Jeremiah 33, verse 9, just want to share with you a little story about where we've come from and where I believe God is taking us. So I was raised in a Christian family in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and uh, I started to go to church with my kids and have a relationship with God early on. But around my teenage years, um, mainly around 11 or 12, preteen probably, I started to get in trouble, listen to wrong music, uh, hang out with the, the bad kids and different things. And by the time I was in high school, 14, 15 years old, I was doing drugs, selling drugs, committing crimes. I was arrested a bunch of different times. I was running away from home. And, and in my community, if you ran away, you could get arrested and put into a home. I would get put into the home, put back into my parents' house. And this was such a disgrace to my family because they were such an outstanding Christian community. Community. I mean, a Christian family in their community. My dad was always on boards of churches, helping out, serving in the worship uh, team. My mom was always a great part of the church. And so here I am, you know, just wiling out, embarrassing my family. But they prayed with the prayer workers, and my mother led me to the Lord at her kitchen table, November 5th, 1995, as an 18-year-old young man strung out on drugs, needing hope. And my mother said, you just need Jesus. Then at that point, living at home, uh, moving out of the girl's house that I was at, I, I moved back home, and I just started going to church regularly, and I was delivering pizzas, and one time when I was delivering pizzas, I went to uh, shake, a, it was at a nursing home, I went to shake a woman's hand that was in a wheelchair, and as I went to do that, the nurse's aides, which my mom was at at one time, so I have a lot of compassion for them, but these were a little bit of sassy nurse's aides, I went to uh, reach out my hand and shake this woman, this, this elderly woman's hand, and they're like, don't touch her, she's going to bite you, she'll bite you, she's crazy, she's a crazy old person. And I'm like, listen, you don't know where I've been and who I've been around. I have no problem taking that risk. So, you know, I shook her hand and I said, Jesus loves you. He's got a plan for your life. God bless you. And I dropped off the pizzas and then I go into my car and then the Lord just speaks to me and he says, I am calling you to reach out your hands to people. Don't let anyone discourage you. Touch them in my name. And I'm just sitting there in my car weeping. And then I went and talked to my dad and I said, Dad, I feel like I'm called into ministry. I'm supposed to reach out and touch hurting people. At that time, Rod Parsley was a big preacher on TV. He still is today. I, I may not agree with all that he does, but I still like him for a lot of the stances that he has. So that was my favorite, and a lot of you might see that influence in my preaching. So I said, man, I want to go to his Bible college. So in Fort Wayne, Indiana, we drove over to Columbus, Ohio, visited the big church, and we were excited, and I thought I was going to get accepted, filled out the application, and then womp, womp, I get rejected because they say that I'm not saved enough. So here I'm like, man, I'm getting rejected by all my friends that say I'm too saved. And then I apply to a Bible college and they go, man, you just got off drugs and all of this. We don't want you right now. You need to wait a little bit. So 
I had only been saved about nine months, but how many know that was a good time for me to be in school? I should have been going to school. So my friend was traveling with the Assemblies of God. He's traveling through the south. He's where I'm from, Fort Wayne, Indiana, but he's traveling through the south, New Orleans, and he hears about a radical Assembly of God mission school starting in the heart of the city, doing ministry all in the French Quarter in all of the urban communities and doing Mardi Gras. I mean, he's just blown away by this. And then he calls me up immediately and he says, Joe, I believe I found your school. And without even visiting New Orleans, never having been there, don't know anybody, I registered for this small school, had less than 20 students. They accepted me. They're like, yes, we'll take you, please. We'll take whatever ones Rod Parsley doesn't want. I think, like I said, man, they only had like six or seven, and then they build up to 20. So we'll take you. Come on. So my dad takes me down to Nolens, y'all. And that's where I started ministry at 19 years old, 19 years old. Got introduced to the Cajun culture. So now you might see a lot of that southern twang, a lot of the African-American influence. A lot of my pastors were African-American, different parts of the city we worked in. I got the influence of of the south and being down there and graduated at at, uh, with an associate degree at 21 years old. And then after I graduated, God called me to start a church there at 22 years old. So that sounds amazing, right? 22-year-old starting his first church, only three and a half years saved. Well, God used it, and we did a lot of great things. I felt at times like I was the white Robin Hood going to all the white, rich suburban churches, raising money for the inner city, and nobody really liked me. I would go to the suburban churches. They say I would preach too much. I would go to the hood, and they say, you don't belong here, white boy. And I used to have long, flowing hair, which is funny. And sometimes they would be like, that's your pastor? I like your pastor. He look good. You know, the women sitting on the porch and all that. So it, it was real being in New Orleans. And so I cut my teeth in the African-American community, reaching out to the highways and the byways. And so the, uh, I was predominantly maybe the minority of my congregation, one of the only white people. That's just the truth how it was. And they loved me, and I loved them, became family. I've been with them forever now. We've stuck together. Uh, some of the, the, the testimonies that I have from that is being best mans and weddings, being adoptive father, uncles to children now that have come forth, just family members that I have from that time. They consider me a part of their family. It's been amazing. Well, like I said, I wasn't really able to sustain the church except for the fundraising, okay? And at one point, I just said, God, I know there's more to ministry than this. So I said to the assembly, and I was with the Assemblies of God, by the way, because I went from the Bible college with the Assemblies to being ordained by them. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do discipleship. And I was influenced at this time by Cesar Castellanos of G12 from Bogota, Colombia. And if anybody's familiarized with that. So a lot of what you see we're implementing here came from those roots. And then during that time, the Assemblies of God had a lot of problems with these organizations that I was trying to be a part of. So I resigned from the Assemblies of God, and I joined with the G12, Bethany World Prayer Center, with Larry Stockstill. If anybody knows of them, Larry Stockstill, no, nobody cares. Poor Larry. In Baton Rouge, he's pretty big deal down there, but out here, nobody even knows him. It would be like saying T.D. Jakes or something, I guess, you know. So I started working with this larger church that was with the G12 movement, and over time, I began to realize I just didn't have the training, the resources, or the ability to pastor the church in discipleship. So I merged the church with a great man of God, Pastor Orlando, that was uh, African-American as well, who always came and spoke at our church. We merged the church, gave all of our, um, all of our equipment to him, and he kept the church going to, uh, until um, Katrina. Then when Katrina happened, it was devastating. Everybody moved out, and even some of the people moved here to Chicago. Now, during that time with, uh, with 
with handing that church over, I was praying about what to do, and I was about 27 years old, and the Lord said, let's send you to Chicago, son, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, brought me to Chicago to work as a youth pastor in Assembly of God Church. So that kind of felt right. You know, here I am, a young man, I'm single, I got the spike tips, you know, and all of that, if you guys remember that, like the, uh, the, the blowouts, the Jersey Shore type, type look. So, Lord, I'm going to put you as a youth pastor. And then I fell in love with the administrator, and that was Nancy. And so then we ended up getting married and all of these good things. But I just didn't feel right there. It just didn't feel like home. I didn't feel like I could marry these two together, where I was hardcore urban ministry, discipleship, on the streets, reaching the lost, and then being a youth pastor in a more, uh, say, traditional church. So I resigned. I, I then asked the Lord, what should I do? And I just felt like it was simple. Just go somewhere else and start a church. But then the Lord put it in my heart to stay in Chicago. <clears throat> Excuse me. And if you know me, I'm not about splitting churches, dividing anything like that. I said, Lord, I don't want to stay here and cause any confusion with the people here. So the Lord said, don't do anything for three months, and if anybody comes from Belmont or any church you've ever preached at around the area, tell them to go back to their church. And that's what we did. So then my wife and I started the church in our house with about three or four people, and then we started evangelizing on Belmont and Clark. And that, as you know, is a very Christian neighborhood, and we attracted a lot of people that way. <laughs> no, no, like we just basically threw ourselves into the worst neighborhood to be persecuted every single weekend. But then we built relationships, and then after about uh, three months or a couple months meeting in a house, I felt the Lord say, go find a property. So I don't have any money. We only have a couple people coming. And then we, <clears throat> excuse me, don't know where to go. So one day I'm doing a prayer walk in my neighborhood, and I see a Methodist church with the rainbow flag and all of that, and I feel the Lord say, that's your building. And I'm like, Lord, this is not our building. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to walk in right now. So during my prayer walk, as I feel the Lord say, that's your building on Irving and Gra no, like Grace and something, like Old Irving Park Community. Yeah, Grace and something. Grace and Keeler. Thank you, sir. Grace and Keeler. So I just walk in there, and I'm like, hey, is uh, anybody here I could talk about using this building with? Uh, you know, anybody I can talk with to talk about using? Is there anybody here that I can talk because I know how to talk? to talk to about using this building. Is there anybody here I can talk to? And then they're like, yeah, the, the woman pastor is here. So, you know, the woman pastor let, you know, and I had nothing against women pastors, but yeah, she's just like, she's there. So uh, I just go, okay, come on in, like literally like in my joggers, whatever. And then I just kind of tell her my spiel. I'm like, yeah, we, my wife and I, we started a church and our house is up the block here on Addison and Grace is where I live. So I'm like, hey, can we use this building on, on Sunday nights? She's like, sure. You know, because most of those churches, they just think of it like a community center, you know, but I still felt that was like a miracle. And then she's like, how much can you pay? us. And I'm like, I'll just give you half of whatever comes in uh, until maybe we reach $500 a month. Is that cool? And she's like, cool, okay. So then she gives me the keys. She, well, no, she says, I'm going to go talk to the guys tonight to make sure it's okay. And then I'll get you the keys tonight if that's all right with you. And I'm like, that's definitely all right with me. So then she tells me we have, a, and she said the meeting was that night. She said, uh, they said, yes, come and get the keys. So I came back that night and got the keys to this Methodist building. Started having Sunday night services, praise God. Then uh, what happened was a Spanish church, uh, oh, man, that also owns the restaurant, the Puerto Rican restaurant on Fullerton, I think, in Western, La Cocina Boricua. All right, that just came. That just came right to me, man. I got right from me to you back and forth. La Cocina Boricua. 
It's my friends from the other churches that I minister at, and, and they were like, hey, man, we hear you're renting a big Methodist building. You guys are blowing it up. Our church needs a building. Will you go and talk to them and see if we can, you know, use the building? Because, like, I was using it from, like, 6 to 8. They were having service from, like, like 9 to 11 or something. So I, so I was like, yeah, I'll check and see if you can use it for 1 o'clock. I'll just ask them. So when I go, there's now a new pastor that's a lesbian, and I sit down with her, and then she's like, hold on, we've been wanting to talk to you. We hear you preaching all the time, and we don't like what you're saying. We want to let you know that we want to cut ties with you now. And I'm like, okay, so so much for me asking if my friend can use the building. The meeting I set up for that has now turned into I don't have a building. But how many know God has a plan? So then I go to Locosino Boricua, and I feel like I'm the, the guy in the parable trying to make deals on the side. I'm like, listen, we don't got the building over there. But you and I, we can get a building together. And then, you know, I'm not going to try to do the Spanish accent, but they're like, Pastor, how much do you have? And I'm like, two or 300 dinero, my brother. <laughs> they're like, that's not enough. Like, what do you think we're going to do? We're going to rent, you know, some little office or something. Like we need a building. And I'm like, how much do you have? They're like, a lot more than that. So I say, okay, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Why don't we put our money together? You pay the rent. I'll pay the utilities. I'll believe that I can pay the utilities. Then you use the building in the morning, and I'll keep using the building in the night. How about that? And they said, sounds like a deal. So those of you who have known the kind of Spanish gringo thing going on in the churches, normally the Spanish churches ask to use the white churches in the afternoon. Now the white boys using the Spanish church in the afternoon, okay? So we get this property by God's grace, and we, uh, we don't get the other side. We just get this, just the wall to wall. This is it. And it was amazing. And they brought in their chairs, Verbo Church. They brought in their chairs. They brought in their families, and everything was wonderful and going great. We're growing. They're growing. And then what began to happen was our church needed to have a Sunday morning. We had to go to a Sunday morning. So they're like, okay, well, let's try to figure it out. And I'm like, well... I don't know if we can figure it out because you guys go from like 9 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. Um, so then we said, maybe we should part ways. And then they're like, man, you want to part ways? You want to stick us with this stuff right here? You ain't doing that. We're going to leave because we're going to find something else. And, it's, and it got into a little bit of a sassy thing. I want to be careful because I have some families and friends here. <laughs> this is all I remember at the end of our conversation with the Spanish church because we went separate ways a little bit angry was one of our elders saying to their pastor, Pardon me, par pardon me, pastor. Pardon me, pastor. <laughs> the phrase was, forgive my pastor. Forgive my pastor. So the way it ended up coming out, because if you ever meet them, they might be hurt a little bit, is it sounds sometimes like Metro Praise grew and kicked them out. But that is not the truth. If we had a disagreement over who was going to share the Sunday morning, and then they're like, you ain't paying enough to get more of a Sunday morning. So we said, well, we'll believe God for it. So long story short, they took all of the chairs, they took all of the things, and we're left with an empty building, and we were only paying 500 a month. Now we had to pay about the 2000 a month on top of that. So we had to increase 2000 a month, plus buy chairs and do a whole bunch of other things. But how many know God makes ways? Amen. And one of our precious families here, right here, there she is. She was a part of that. And her family, we love them. And all of that, we've all forgiven each other. Okay. 
So then we go from there. We start growing. We're doing the thing. And then right around 50 to 75 people, right after about five or six years, we have about 50 to 75 people. We then decide, let's try to go to another location. Let's try to go to another facility. Let's go to Irving Park. And when we went to Irving Park, we went from about, you know, 2,000, 3,000 a month here to 10,000 a month. But I thought, oh, we're going to be amazing. It's going to go awesome. It was the worst decision of our entire history. This is why we have an international next to our name, because Metro Praise closed down. Everybody just go, oh. I know churches have to close sometime. This, was, this is like the most embarrassing thing. I wrote about it in my book. I've testified, but I can't even look at some of you guys in your eyes. So we go into this property. I just, I feel now it's different. I should have known, checked my gut. That's what I did this time, right, with this property. But I signed this lease for $10,000 for the next five years. What is that? 10,000 a month times 12 months, yeah, times five years. It was just too much for us. Guess what year that was? I think it was 2008, 2009. Boom. Economy goes down. People in our church losing their jobs. We don't have the monies. I was used to this kind of a landlord where I could work things out. I came to them, and they would not work it out with me. They kept saying, you're going to pay, you're going to pay, you're going to pay. They thought it was with the denomination. Maybe they they saw all the good-looking people coming to our church, thought we were rich. We never took anything from them and never did not pay them. But it came to the point where I talked to our lawyer, and I said, uh, about two years into it, I said, I have zero dollars left, no more money. I will not, and God will be my witness to all those who are there. I said, I will not beat up our people. As we've done tithes and offerings here, we've always done. That's just what it is. Uh, I let the people know the need. I said, we're hurting. I said, uh, I don't know how long we can stay here. And uh, if you want to give more, you can. But we never tried to keep pushing and pushing. We just we had to trust God, and then I had to learn. And so sadly, this is what they said to us. You leave, we're suing you in the church. And I'm like, there's no way you are suing me in the church over this. Guess what they did? They sued me and the church. I personally went bankrupt, and the church closed down. Yeah, sad. It was sad. I had no choice. I had had perfect credit since being a young man who was saved, went to Bible college. My dad was a financial planner, had gotten me credit cards, credit well over 800, American Express, all of this. The church had never had any debt. And we said to them, with our lawyer, these are the assets. This is what the church owns. The church owns a a couple speakers, a church bus. This is the income. I think at that time I was only making thirty or forty thousand. This is all the church has. This is all Joe has. A station wagon that my parents got me for uh, a gift. Uh, a few things in my house. This is all Joe has. Collectively, assets and everything, bank accounts, everything. They probably have twenty or thirty thousand dollars. They will surrender any assets you want. Do not sue Joe. Do not sue the church. But whatever was in their heart and mind, that's what they did. So then we had to reopen the very next month, Metro Praise International. <laughs> because I said, there ain't, no way, there ain't no way God is stopping what we have called, been called to do. I'm not going to stop preaching because I made a financial mistake. But this is what I said to them. I said, I will clean the property at the end. I will pay my last month. I will leave nothing undone because we did some renovation to the building, beautified it and all of that. Anything you need from me, we'll do. We took down our stickers. We cleaned the buildings, paid our last month on time. And then we just said, now you have to do what you want. And then so have you ever seen the Peter Geraci commercials about being bankrupt? That's where I found myself a few months later. You know, and you're just sitting there in the lobby, you know, you're watching the Peter Geraci screen, and you're just saying, how did I get here? And then the people came to me, and they're like, 
How in the world do you owe 400000 to Metro Praise because of X, Y, and Z Corporation? And I'm like, because I signed my personal name to guarantee for the church. They're like, do you understand what it means to personally guarantee things? I go, to keep the building nice? No, no, no. You personally guaranteed that if the church could not pay whatever it was, 600000 in five years, you were going to pay 600000 And I go, I guess that's a surprise to everybody. First of all, why would you even take my signature on that? I don't have $600,000 to guarantee anything. And if the church doesn't have it, I don't have it because the little bit that I make comes from the church. That's how I make money. The money comes from the church. If the church goes bye-bye, there goes the shekels. There's, there's nothing else, you know what I'm saying? So it's a sad story, but it became a lesson. It's a comeback story. Do you guys like comeback stories? Are you guys ashamed of us now? I'm never coming back to that church. They had to close down. The pastor went bankrupt. These are the kinds of things that the media just loved, you know, when they found those things. They're, they're like, he went bankrupt and closed the church. Did you know this? And everybody in our church is like, Yes, he told us. He told us exactly that's, that's what happened. We prayed for him. Uh, we set a because at that time, you got to remember the church was new. We set a group of elders around him so that would never happen again, you know. So from that point on, we have a group of elders, a financial committee, and all those things. And how many know <clears throat> that's why when we talk about money and savings, that's very big, to, uh, important to us now. Because when we restarted here, because my friend City Lights took over this church while we went to Irving, he went to another building. We came back here. It was renovated. The other spot was taken as well. We went back to the relationship with our landlord, restarted our church with about 125, 130 people. And this is where we've been for about the past eight years. We've grown close to maybe 250 and 30 if everybody comes on the same Sunday. And you just saw our biggest year ever. Can we give it up for Jesus? Amen. So... What are the lessons learned? Well, the lessons that are learned is that we have to go wherever God takes us, wherever God leads us, and be obedient to what he has said. So from this point on, I am going to be, just so that you guys understand, I'm going to be like that grandparent that came from the Great Depression who kept cans in their closet and under their bed. And you're like, why do you have tin cans everywhere, Aquila? You don't know what I went through, you know? You have no idea. So if you guys are like, why did the deal fall apart when they just had the greatest financial year they've ever had? Because you have no idea what I've been through. I'm not taking any chances on losing what God has done here. So, so just track with me. The, the test has now become a testimony because when we came back here that month with 130 people and a pastor going bankrupt and a brand new name, people were looking at me going, I don't know if this is going to work. Maybe you're just too crazy and radical. Maybe you just need to be an evangelist. That's what sometimes people tell me. Joe, maybe you just need to be an evangelist out there somewhere and let everybody else take care of stuff, you know? But I said, no, listen, I'm a quick learner. I will learn. I promise you I won't make a mistake. Well, the first couple months we were here, we were barely paying these bills because it's the middle of the recession, right? It's the middle of the recession. So I remember having a couple elders, and this one will always be my favorite. Most of you have never met him. His name is David Montez, my favorite elder, and I always used to say it to him while he was in the church as well. So this is what I did. I pulled some of the elders together, and I go, guys, I don't know if we can afford here. We may have to go into our homes. Well, one of the elders said back to me, well, I think that's it for Metro Praise then. And then the other elder said, you can use my home. Ah, tears. I said, brother, I'll let you know, because my home, your home, another home, we'll do it. And let's be honest, I know churches that have had to do that, right? But by God's grace, praise God, we had a breakthrough. More people started coming. We started growing. 
keeping money in the bank. And that's when I was like, you know, just, just like think about it. Let's say we had a $10,000 budget and $10,050 came in. What do you think I did with that $50? Man, we're going to put that under here. I'm going to hide that. I'm saving that. I'm putting that in a sock. I'm not letting nobody touch that. Seriously, next month, 10000 you know, 11000 came in. Budget was only, what, 10000 I took that 1000 I was like, oh, by God's grace, we're going to tuck that. We're going to tuck that away. Now you see a $100,000 in savings. That's what God will do. That's what God will do. And here's the blessing of the church, because I had an, uh, an elder that's uh, been a spiritual father to me, and he was very leery of this deal, and he told me to wait, and I did, and that was another lesson that I learned. He told me to wait, and I should have. But when he came on the board at the very beginning of the new launch, he said, Joe, you went bankrupt. You've lost everything. We're going to guarantee that as the church gets back on its feet, because he was a man of faith, he said, the church is going to take care of you for all of the years you've lost in salary. So then last year, with Thomas tears coming down my eyes, the church not only got us to the full salary, but then paid my wife and I back for all of those years that we suffered as we went bankrupt. So the church and I have been married together in a holy union. We, we have nothing but love and respect for each other, the elders, the deacons, and my wife and family. And so that's why when we meet that salary, I said, let's just cap it. Let's go to the others. Let's build. And if we have to meet in a storefront, we will, but we're going to keep outreach and we're going to keep preaching and teaching. And so when this year happened with all of COVID and BLM, what did I do? I go back to the past, and I look at what God did, and I say, God will do it again. And so God gave us our greatest year, the greatest blessings out of our greatest tests. And thank God there were no uh, issues like that. Maybe I would do some things differently in some ways, but there's nothing that I have to look at and say, that was a mistake. I think we did the right thing this past year. Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 9 is where our name comes from. Then this city will bring me renowned joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. What is another word for a city? Metro. It's a metro area. You see the word praise in there? What's another word for all nations? There's the name of the church, by God's grace. We are a city of praise before God and to all the nations. That city will soon become a legitimate, literal kingdom city upon this earth where we, as this body of Christ, unite with the greater body of Christ and rule and reign. So a lot of times you'll hear uh, uh, sister names to this will be like a New Jerusalem kind of name. That kind of name would re re uh, represent what we're representing here. We are a city church built on the community of the culture and all those that are here, young and old, everybody from different backgrounds. We are bringing praise and adoration to our God, and we're doing it before the nations. Now, when we started the church, we had to have a vision, a focus. Now, remember, I started a church at 22 years old. If you could go to that, good sir. Uh, thank you. We, we had to have a focus. Well, when I started at 22 years old, I didn't have a focus. I said, if I ever start another church again, from day one, I'm going to be focused. Day one, from moment one, focus. So let's make another testimony here. There has never been a day where Metro Praise International has been opened where these things have not been on the board from day one. We are going to love God, and we are going to love people. Jesus said in Mark chapter, 20, uh, chapter 12, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and all your strength. How do we define loving God? Worshiping him in spirit and in truth and obeying his commands. Can you turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 23? 
<clears throat> Excuse me. How many love God here today? Amen. John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. She says, man, should we worship here or there? Because they had a, set, a place situated where they could worship, and they also had Jerusalem. And then look at what Jesus responds to her in verse 23. He said, yet a time is coming and has now come when the worshipers will worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So we love God by worshiping him. I could keep you here for another hour just talking about all of the spiritual and physical and mental benefits of worshiping God. Number one, we worship God because he is worthy of the worship. We worship him because he's worthy of it. But in that worship, there is an exchange. In the exchange of us worshiping God, our spirits are filled with his presence, with joy unspeakable, full of glory. How many of you sense that in God's presence? Not only when you worship in a church setting, but you worship throughout your life and your surrendered uh, heart to the Lord, glorifying him in all that you do, right? You sense the Lord's presence, uplifting your spirit, filling that emptiness in your soul, and giving you the meaning for why you're here. We were meant to worship. We are at heart worshipers. And if we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something else. Physically, physically, we are benefited from our worship because we surrender our worries and our cares to God. And we will be more healthy in our physical bodies and our mental life. When you are singing a song, it is hard to worry about something else, isn't it? That is why music itself is uplifting. But when music and song is given towards God... It is not just uplifting, it is mind transforming. During your next struggle, during the next time you're concerned about debt or something going on in this new year, just begin to sing a song to the Lord and watch what God will do in your life. Watch what will happen in those moments. You will literally feel that chains will begin to break off of your life. You will sense the peace of God coming over you as you surrender your life to him and you sing that song. How many have done that before? You've worshipped and yokes have broken off. Your physical body, your mental life has changed. Also, we, we worship or love God by obedience. Let's go to that next scripture from the notes, please. Let's go to John chapter 14, verse 15. How many love God here today? Come on, if you love him, say, I love you, Jesus. Amen. See, next time you're in trouble, just sing a song. Can't nobody and do me like Jesus can't know. I guarantee you, you will stop thinking about everybody doing you wrong. Nobody is like our Jesus, okay? Now go to John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commands or obey me. Listen to me. Follow me. So those of us here who want to love God, we need to worship him, adore him, make our life revolve around him. He is the son, the S-O-N son that all of us revolve around. And let us obey him. Let us obey him willingly, joyfully. The Bible says in 1 John that the commandments of God are not a burden those of us who think of the commandments of God as a burden don't understand relationship. Is it a burden for me to remain loyal to my wife? No, but it is a command to remain loyal to my wife, isn't it? If it ever becomes a burden, do I have a command problem or a heart problem? I have a heart problem, don't I? What has changed? My heart. 
The command remains the same, but if I have a problem with that command, it's because my heart has changed. And may God always give me eyes only for my wife. May I love her always. To death do us part. And the same thing is with God. Anytime you notice that commands from the Lord are getting difficult in your life, it is a heart issue. Because if you love God with everything on the inside of you, there'll be nothing left to give to pornography. There'll be nothing left given to jealousy. You'll have nothing left to give to this world. It will literally be like you just had Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner all rolled up in one, and now, now somebody hands you Taco Bell. It will make you want to puke. That's what it's like when I see adulterous women or adultery happening. It makes me want to puke because I am so satisfied by my wife. I am full on her love. That's what it looks like to be jealous. That's what it looks like to be bitter. Is God has filled you with his goodness and the devil is putting that Taco Bell in front of you. And it should gross you out and say, I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be full of sin because I'm full of God. Be so full of God that there's no room for Satan or his work or his temptation in your life. And we all get tempted. That is true. But we should pray to the Lord. Lead us not into temptation. Don't give in to it so that it gives birth to sin and then result in death. Somebody say love people. Amen. How do we love people? Jesus went on to say to love your neighbor as yourself. Number one, we help them in their times of need. Go with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. How many know the story of the good Samaritan? Do you know what that would be the equivalent of? The good Samaritan, it would be like the good slave. Because remember, the Samaritans were the ones everybody that was Jewish looked down upon. So imagine Jesus going to the south, talking to Bubba, that slave owner, and they all thinking they are self-righteous, and he makes them look like the robbers and the ones who walk by, but he makes the slave, Kuta Kinte, the hero of the story. The story of the Good Samaritan shows us that your culture does not define your morality and those generally who are in power with their culture are using it to abuse, but those who are oppressed can have a greater morality than those who are oppressing them. That is the story of the Good Samaritan. How many know that can bring racial justice to those who are truly wanting to get racial justice? And so what that would mean is following the way of Martin Luther King Jr. and the way of, of being humble through their resistance, their passive resistance, saying, even though I may believe, let's say that's true in some ways there are oppressors, I will be the good Samaritan. I will be the good minority, not by submitting to the oppression, but by being morally superior in my actions and change the culture from the inside out. I will be the conscience of the state. And not only for those seeking social justice in the, uh, the racial community, predominantly the African-American, but also for the abortion uh, justice, we can turn it from the inside out. Because even though we want to see it legislated as murder, we have to be the good Christians that win over the hearts and minds of our fellow neighbors who are murderous in their uh, cause to support abortion, but we'll take the moral high ground and show them that the life message, the message of life, is the message of morality, and that is the message that will change their life for the good. In other words, we will win the worldview war from the inside out. That is the story of Jesus, and he talks about that in the revolution when he talks about the mustard seed being the smallest seed, yet it grows up to be the biggest seed. Christianity brought Rome to its knees in 300 years without lifting a sword. 
Are you guys getting that? We can see community transformation by loving the community. And yes, love does have rebukes. Yes, love has truth. But we will do it by being good Samaritans. So let us be the good, moral, outstanding citizens in all the places of change we want to see. Amen? The Bible says in 1 John 3, 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sisters in need but has no pity on them, <clears throat> excuse me, how can the love of how can the love of God be in that person? And so the first thing that comes to me is what about all those monies that we have in the church? Are we meeting needs? We are. Every single person in this church should have their needs met. And if you don't, come and see us and we'll help you out. I will empty out that $2,000 right now for you in the community if you need it. And if there's more, we will help. But what we do not give is handouts. We give hand-ups. We will want to keep you accountable and teach you the right way of how to make it happen. And most often in our culture, there are programs to do that. So if someone says, I just want the money, leave me alone, then we don't cooperate with that. But if somebody says, here's my plan to get a job and to take care of my family, I need help paying the rent, we cooperate with that. Does everybody get it? The Bible says if a person doesn't work, they do not eat. That was some of the problem that I had when I worked in the, in the hood that I saw what, what welfare did. It, de- it demotivized the people that were there, and we had to teach them to get back up and work. And oftentimes we, we look at those who have a lot, and we become jealous but not understanding the prices that they paid and what they had to go through to get there. So we do not disperse our wealth through communism by force. We do it through charity and generosity. So if you do have a need, and we do have needs in the church, we will meet that need in Jesus' name. And if we don't have the resources or the tools to help you do it, because remember, you can give a person to fish or you can teach them to fish, we we cooperate with the programs of this city. So that's what we need to do, and not only through the church, but in our everyday lives. If your neighbor needs a ride to work, help them out. If they need extra clothes, help them out. My challenge is what, what you are giving, or rather what you are selling at a garage sale, could you give away? Just start with a mindset like that. The giveaway which you normally would sell and start to see what God will do in your life. The next thing that we do to love people is obviously we preach the gospel to them. What gospel message do I have up here? If we go back to the notes, please. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans 1, 16. How many believe in the power of the gospel? Amen. So every time when you guys hear what we're doing in the church, this is Metro Praise International. What are we talking about? A city of praise bringing renown to our great God and Savior. We're loving God and we're loving people. What does that mean? We're worshiping and obeying his commands, helping people in times of need and preaching the gospel to them because Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So we are a gospel-centered church. Everything that we do needs to be centered around the gospel. How is this forwarding the gospel? We bought a gospel truck a few years ago. Isn't that amazing? The gospel. We have been street preaching from day one. The gospel. We've been meeting in homes, doing the gospel work in communities. That is for the gospel. We've been going to the high schools. We've been going to the parks. From day one, we adopted the block Ohio Park. We've been going there for many, many years. That is the gospel. The gospel in our homes, the gospel on Sundays, the gospel in our programs with our youth and our children, the gospel going through the streets, that is what this church is about. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, taking the wrath of God so that sinners like us might be saved. He became what we were that we might become what he is. He became sin upon the cross that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Amen? That's the gospel. So loving God, loving people. Now, that's all good and dandy, and most of the churches that I talk to, by the way, during this 
this time. Remember I said I graduated with an associate. What do you do when you start a church and there's only about 10 people? You go back to school <laughs> and you write books. So I went and got back and got a bachelor's degree. So it's so funny how mine are all staggered out, you know, associate degree. A few years later at a different school, a bachelor's degree. A few years later at a different school, a master's degree. A few years later at a different school, a lot more gray hair, a doctorate degree by God's grace. So what do I see oftentimes in churches as I've had to study them and write on them is that they say those things, right? They'll have a nice name attached to the scripture, honoring God. They'll say they're going to love God and love people. Last time I saw a church didn't say we're going to hate God and hate people. But where most churches lack is in a strategy. Everybody say day one. Remember I said I had learned from Castellanos what to do, but I couldn't implement it. Became a youth pastor. But when we started this church, day one, God gave us the strategy. It hasn't changed. And I said, guys, you can change it when I die. If you guys don't like it. So Lauren, where's Lauren? She's going to definitely outlive me. I think she's like, what, 22 years old. She's going to outlive me. How old are you, 22? No, I'm kidding. You're not, you're not. Oh, 33. She's awesome. So they're going to outlive me. I'm one of the older ones around here. Thank you for older people coming. You make me feel better. Uh, I used to be like the, the oldest one, okay? Well, well, here's the deal. This is what I said to him. As long as I don't sin, we're keeping the same vision and strategy as is. If I sin and you got to kick me out, then you change it. If I die, then you can change it. But, you know, they may be some of those people that just keep it going, you know, like, you know, 100 years from now, connect, mentor, sin. I'm a grandpa now, but I used to be a young man at Metro Praise International. I'm looking at this guy right here and Jason. I used to jump up and down, and I remember hearing it from the pastor. Connect, mentor, send, and you young people, you, you just keep connect, mentor, and send. And listen, if it, if it don't work, change it, okay? You guys, if I die, change it. If it doesn't work, change it. We're not going to just hold on to something because then we won't hold on to it. But this is what God gave me. This is what God gave us as a family, my wife and I, for the church. Here it is. Connect, mentor, send. Other people, the navigators, have a similar uh, vision to this that have predated me. We have not come up with this. Uh, some people say um, uh, touch heaven. No, change. Yeah, touch heaven, touch earth. That's one the way to look at touch heaven, touch earth. Reach in. Reach out, reach up. No, no, reach up, reach in, reach out. There we go. Let's do it together. Holy Ghost aerobics. Reach up, reach in, reach out. There we go. There we go. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy There we go. So <clears throat> the navigators was reach one to teach one to reach one. I think some of you might remember that. It's, it's the standard narrative of discipleship. Discipleship. You can re read Coleman's book on it. Um, the Way of the Master, I believe, is Coleman's book on discipleship. This has been around forever. These, these are the standards that the Methodists use, methodical. They were called Methodists because of their strategy. Connect. What do we teach in the connect? To connect everyone to Christ. And for the sake of time, we'll just look to the scriptures here now. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So how do we connect to our Lord and Savior? Number one, we're born again. Number two, we need to remain connected to the vine. And number three, we need to be connected to the good church as uh, his body of Christ, as Acts chapter 2 talks about. So how do we see this first step of discipleship is connecting people through all the different ways that we're meeting them to the church on Sundays and joining a life group. So yes, we're evangelizing and connecting, but we don't consider them connected until they come to the church and join a life group. Now we're believing that they're becoming a Christian 
Christian, being born again, like, you know, they're accepting Christ, and that they're making this their community. That's what we consider the connect phase. The mentor phase, as we go on, has to do with uh, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Did anybody see it on the front wall out here? By any chance? <laughs> Whoa! Okay, this is what they're about here, you know, because it's big and you got to read it by nodding your head. Just kind of follow along with me, right? I, I said, how big can we make it? Well, you can make it this big. Make it that big, you know? So you just kind of read this whole thing when you come in. Watch what we're about. Go, Bible says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. How do we look at that as our strategies? Number one, we want uh, disciples to be teachable. If you're teachable, you can learn and grow. We want you to stay accountable, to be in accountability groups, and to share your weaknesses, your strengths, your ups, and your downs. We want to see a servant's heart in you, that you're willing to serve, be the least, have a towel instead of a title, and that you would always be hungry for God and his righteousness. What do we believe accomplishes that is two phases, a 101 phase and a 201 phase. A 101 phase has the 101 book, and that book is where you become a acquainted with the lifestyle of a disciple from reading your Bible, praying, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We do believe in the gifts of the Spirit here and understanding the walk of holiness. That is done one-on-one -on -one with a, a, a mentor of the same gender. Then the 201 is a place where you go and you're trained with Bible memorization, scripture, accountability, to reading the whole Bible, uh, to ask, answering questions. You're taught like in a classroom setting. And this enables you to be a Christian multiplier, a disciple maker so that when you graduate, you can go into the connect phase and start winning souls and making disciples. That's called the 201. Those books are the things that I wrote between my associate's degree and my bachelor's degree. That's when I was riding my bike to Belmont and Clark and then coming back and writing those books. Why did those books first get written? Because the books from the, uh, the G12 uh, movement wouldn't let me copy them. They said they're copywritten. I said, you're telling me I've got to give all these people that I'm meeting books that I can't even afford to buy? Why can't I just copy them off because I keep going through all these people who say they want discipleship and nobody wants it. <clears throat> Excuse me. They said, that, yeah, that's what you have to do. Well, I go, I guess I went to school for a reason then because I'm going to write my own book so I can copy them off. And then now we give them away to the nations. We have paid for like places like Pakistan to have printers to print off our books. Our, our books have been uh, all throughout Southeast Asia, India, Pakistan, Africa, the Philippines. And we continue to send those books out and the PDF files for them to be used. Eventually, I've written 20 books. Most of those books are a conglomeration of a discipleship. 365 devotional that's free online and it's there in the back if you want it. It's 12 months each of different subjects. I've even said to pastors, because I ended up writing a book on how to do a discipleship-based church by God's grace, you can use any of our materials, pull them, take them from wherever you want, because you got to understand we have, we have 12 books, 12-month devotionals, a 101 book and a 201 book. Almost every subject you can imagine is there. They can take them and make their own materials and print them out, and we'll let them do that. And some people have already done that, and that's all by God's grace. But here's what I have to say about writing. The writing of what I give is nothing to what the Holy Spirit has given through the Scriptures. Amen? And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms lives. And so if you haven't joined the discipleship yet, we encourage you to do so, even if you've been a Christian for a while, because the camaraderie of the one-on-one -on -one relationship itself is encouraging and will be with 
with you for the rest of your life. There's no reason why you wouldn't keep that person close to you. And I've even had, listen to me, I've had people who are pastors, Bible college degrees, because, you know, I became a professor. Jared became a professor. Others here have become professors. And let's just think about that for a second, how the vision works by God's grace. Jared got saved, 101-201. Then he went to Bible college, got his bachelor's degree, master's degree, became a professor, is still a professor, and is now planting a church. That all came from your neighborhood. Let's give it up for Jesus. Amen? So the vision works. It multiplies. It's not Amway. It's better, okay? You know, you come to somebody's house and you're like, listen, do you want to be a millionaire? So glad that you want to be one. Let me go through the steps on how you become a millionaire. I get 10 reps, then guess what? You get 10 reps who get 10 reps, okay? And then those 10 reps get 10 reps that get 10 reps. And then when the 10 reps get 10 reps that get 10 reps, we all become millionaires. This is not that, but it's okay if you do that. But here's the whole point. Make a disciple that makes a disciple that makes a disciple that makes a disciple. Amen? All right. And then we send you out. Everybody go, Hayuken. Okay, you guys are tired. You guys are tired. So if you remember in Street Fighter, Hayuken, fireball comes out. Okay? So we send you out. You don't leave upset with your pastor. You don't leave because you found something better. You get sent out accomplishing what the goal was. I understand why a lot of people leave their churches because there's not really a goal other than showing up on Sunday and volunteering every now and then. This is not called volunteerism. This is called discipleship. So the goal is then to send you out, whether you're still a part of the church or not, so that you now can do a Matthew 16, a Mark 16, 20 says, then the disciples went out. Who went out? The disciples went out, amen, and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them. So is the Lord still working with his church? Yes, he is, and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. We want to send out trained disciples to see signs and wonders with the gospel being preached. We're seeing that today. James Hernandez is going now in front of the psychic stores by his house, preaching the gospel, letting it be known that we're coming against those spirits, and he's already been attacked. They now, uh, some psychic readers and, and tarot card readers had found his thing. Literally, if you go to the girl, if you go to his page, you can find the girl who posted it. She's got a pentagram and 666 on her profile picture. Lovely, right? But how many know that's the one we're, we're wanting to reach out to? So let her know, if you want, that we'll do a live podcast with her anytime to discuss her belief versus our belief. But for some reason, she's an atheist who likes Satan, right? Talk about hypocriting, right? Do you hypocrite much? I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any of this. Then why do you decorate your whole page with satanic stuff and goat head? Well, I just think it's cool. Well, you're acting like a Satanist then, aren't you? Okay? Well, guess what? That's called a hypocrite. When you act like something, but you're really not, you know? And then if you're an atheist, why are you mad at a God that doesn't exist? I thought God doesn't exist. Why are you so mad at him? Last time I, I saw, I didn't see people making fun of Santa Claus as adults, you know? Like every day making something about Santa Claus. And literally every profile picture, every profile picture is, I love Satan. I'm going to hell. I can't wait to go there. And all of these things. And I'm just thinking to myself, talk about either being a hypocrite or simply being deceived or both. But we love her and pray for her. And you guys did a great job responding to her. And like I said, we'll do a live feed with her. We don't run from any of those things here by God's grace. To be sent out, you have to see the Lord. 
We have to see Jesus lifted up in his glory, sending us out, even as Isaiah 6 says. We need to see the harvest. Remember, Jesus said that to his disciples. Don't you see the harvest, guys? The harvest is ripe and it's ready. We need to see the need. You know, where can we meet needs in this community? We can meet it through the different ministries that we've established and more to come. And then we need to see our personal ministry. It's not just good enough to be like, oh, that's cool. You guys go there and do that. We need to go and do that. Pick something and be a part of it. So we take it as a personal honor to connect you to Jesus, to train you, to mentor you, and to send you out so that this is not a church of uh, babies. This is a church of spiritual warriors. If we were to fight ISIS, would you want me to send my two-year-old or would you want me to send the Marines or a Navy SEAL? What is the church fighting, uh, sending right now to fight the worldview battle? Rick Warren, Joel Osteen, what do you think about this? <laughs> you know, just a little baby. This is what I think about this. And we're like sitting here going, right here, right here. Send the mic right here. Interview me on Huffington Post, please. Oprah, let me sit on your couch. Because I want to show I want to show Oprah a thing or two. You know, instead of it's being, you know, like Joe Lowson, they asked him, well, uh, you know, does anybody go to hell? Well, I just don't talk about that. Well, do atheists go to hell? Well, I just don't know. That's the same thing with the Pope. You know, the girl asked the Pope, my dad was an atheist. Where is he? Well, I hope he's in heaven. No, ask me. Ask me. You will not have to kiss my ring. You don't have to dress me up as mother and call me father. You don't have to bedazzle me. Just ask me the question. Please ask me the question. We will, we will Leonidas 300 this thing. This is Metro Praise. You know what I'm saying? We're like, this is the Bible. Take it, you know. This is it. This is the Bible around here, son. So they keep, as, they keep asking those who are in the nursery, getting their diapers changed, those questions. Please ask us. We're ready to answer those questions, okay? Oh, I don't know where I was going with that. We're just going to send you out radical, I guess. That's what we're going to do. Amen. Let's go, to the, let's go to the goal. That's the goal is to show up on Larry King. It always used to be Larry King, but now, oh, what's his name? The guy from South Africa. Um, he's a kind of comedian guy. He's on Trevor Noah. I want to be on his show so bad because I feel like he's so witty. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody likes him. Like he just makes fun of people all the time. I just want to kind of just toss back some of that wit towards him. You know, I just want to toss it back, you know. And uh, let's just pray that God gives us influence to change the world. So now, you know, you're thinking 100,000, Joe, what's the deal? We barely have a couple hundred. What are we talking about here? Okay, so remember, starting the church day one, I want to give my life to something. I've already started a church and had to merge it. I've been through the ups and downs of ministry. By being a good speaker, by God's grace, I've traveled around. You know, I've already seen a lot of what's going on in the who's who of the church zoo. And I began to realize, like, there needs to be a movement of disciples, like there was in Colombia, like there was in Korea, in India. There's multiple places, the underground church of China, multiple places where there's churches over 100,000. But they are disciples. They're multiplying. They're meeting in homes, continuing to preach to each other. They're not just trying to gather to, uh, to show up on Sunday. So the Lord... Uh, the Father promised the Son in Psalm 2, 8, Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. This is a messianic promise. The Father says to the Son, Son, ask me for the nations, and they are yours. And so now we take up the request of the Son. 
And as I was thinking about that, I said, Lord, what is that, that number? What should we focus on? And I felt the Lord say, let's establish the first church of 100,000 disciples in America. Let's do that. And I said, amen. Now, let's just go through it. What if it doesn't happen? We've had a lot of fun trying. Amen. How many believe that? If we didn't reach 100,000, we had a lot of fun trying. We were obedient to the Great Commission. Disciples were made. The devil got mad, and Jesus got glad. Are you a disciple today? Are you glad that we're going for it? Amen. If it's not my generation, the next generation, but how many would like to see 100,000 disciples? Not just 100,000 churchgoers. The largest churches now are Joel Osteen, Andy Stanley. They have 40,000 plus um, Greg, Greg, Craig or Greg Crochelle of Life Church has about that many as well. Stephen Furtick, they're all 20, 30, 40,000. Most of them are satellite campuses. The pastor doesn't even show up. That's between them and God, but not very many disciples. The statistics of those churches is 10 to 20% max are doing what 80% of our folks are doing here. So you take our attendance of about 200 plus. If you count everybody, maybe 300. We have over 150 registered, or excuse me, over 140 registered. Uh, over 50% of our greater number, about 70 to 80% of our average number is in discipleship, and for them it's 10 to 20%. Let's show the world what it looks like when we have the church their size, but with our heart. Amen? A church of two, three, four, five thousand with 70, 80% of disciples. So the 50 churches is to house them because I do not want to do satellite churches. I did online for a little bit. Some people think we can do televangelism here. That is not my calling. Uh, maybe somebody else wants to do that. That is not me. But maybe God will change my mind. I have tried, though. I have tried. And I respect those on TV doing it right, by the way. But I want pastors in place in the pulpit at those churches. So that's why we have a Bible college. And then 500 churches around the world. Funny but true story. You know how everybody around the world is asking you to be their friend now. How many of you got asked for money yet? Has anybody got asked for money yet by some of the Christians? God bless them. They're doing their best. So just don't do it. Just don't give it to them. Just say, listen, I'll give it to my church that will give to missions. But long story short, when the internet first started with all that stuff, I was like, listen, you want money? I'll give you mentorship. So I started mentoring people from those places. Remember we talked about Pakistan and India? And I found out they were legitimate people. So what do you think I did? We got on a plane and went over there. I've been to India three times. I brought the pastor from Pakistan to India because they wouldn't let us go over. And I uh, met with the others at different times and places. We had, at one point, this was, this was so funny. You would show up to our church just like this. And we would say, we were counting down. We had about 240 churches. Literally, we had about 200, by God's grace, that we're using our materials. But then one year in Nepal, I've been to Nepal, Kathmandu as well, all from these internet connections, right? So then one year I couldn't make it. Something was going on. My wife just had a baby. So I send one of our uh, associates to go to the Metro Praise International Conference of uh, India, you know? And this is how our associate describes what happens, you know? Like, that there, there's a banner like this that says First Baptist, you know, the vision of First Baptist International. And then when Metro Praise comes, they take down the Baptist one, then they heist up the Metro Praise one. And then if you look into their closet, they got the Baptist one, the Methodist one, the Assembly of God one. Because what is it? They're just so desperate, you know. So then I called them, you because know, we used to meet every week through Skype and all of this. And I said, brothers, let's just be honest. 
Are you really doing what I'm doing here? Or are you just wanting to use our books, use our name for whenever we come around to make us think that you're doing it so that we support you? Because we were sending money over there, over there and all that. And they said, yes, uh, we're doing a lot of other people's visions. So I said, listen. I'll still give you whatever monthly support I've promised you. That's fine. We'll take care of you guys. We'll bless you. Because this way I was accountable with them, right? I said, but after this, we're only going to do those who want to do the Metro Praise Vision. And we never really saw any of them after that. Everybody go, oh. So we went from having like 150 churches in India to this many churches in India. But how many know it belongs to Jesus anyway? So then we revamped. We rewinded, and then we said, okay, how do we avoid this mistake? So now we are raising up our workers to go through SUM, and SUM has locations there that we've actually helped establish in Pakistan. They started an SUM Bible college, and so now we work with them through the Bible college and let them use our materials to name it whatever they want so they don't have to feel the obligation. And then those who are with us, like in Metro Praise, who want to be missionaries, which we have some in the church, they will be launched out, and we'll count those. So the ones who are affiliate with us, those who are using our books, we're not counting them. Them as the 500. Amen? So if you're counting right now, this is what we have. We have 146 disciples out of 100,000. So minus that, that's what we have left. We have one church out of the 50, 49 more to go. And now starting in Dallas, and they are meeting now on Sundays, we have one out of the 500. Isn't this a great time to be a part of the church? It is. Come on. Let's do it together. Vinny, would you come, please? Think about it. If you could, let's say right now the church could invest in Amazon. Amazon stock goes for $3,000 right now. Let's say the church could safely invest in Amazon as it's trading for, what, $3. How many think that would be a good deal? The church takes a portion of our money so that we can multiply. We buy stock in Amazon, so a year from now, we have more than $8 in interest, right? How many would say, Joe, buy Amazon at $3 if we could go back in time? How many would do that? Because what does it do? It multiplies, 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 multiplies. Now, look at the grounds you're in right now. Look around. Come on, look at your brothers and sisters. You are here at the right time. There is so much more to do. There's over 99,000 more disciples to make. There's over, what, 49 churches, or 49 to be exact, to plant here in Chicago. 499 around the world to establish. Do we have the right name? I think we do. We got a name that gives glory to God. All names will be forgotten. Jesus will be the only name coming up at the kingdom. But right now, does it work? Yes. How about our vision? Is it the right vision? Do you want to love God and love people? Worship Him, obey Him, serve others and preach the gospel. I'm not saying much about the, the picture of the author on the cover of the book, because I removed it after a while, but are the books all right? Not asking about is the author the next celebrity. I'm just asking, are the books all right? Have you been through a 101 book yet? Have you been through a 201? Do they honor God and the Christian faith? I think they do. Do our leaders and teachers care about you and love you and spend time with you and then when they themselves struggle do we bring them back through the process I believe we do and then send as we send you out to now connect and mentor to others do you enjoy that how many enjoy the evangelism efforts that we do at this church the outreaches how many are glad that this is happening here now what do we do we just continue that cycle until Jesus comes back 
I'll be honest with you, it does get discouraging sometimes. Like I'm sitting back there and we're saying 100,000, amen. I mean, I've been here. Trust me, I've been here every Sunday for the most part for all of these years. And sometimes it's like, God, are we even getting close to 100, you know? Are we getting close to 200 disciples, Jesus? And I've even heard people say back to us, because you know when people leave or people want to hurt you, they know where to sting. You know, they know where to hit. I've had people leave this church and be like, how close are you guys to the 100,000? How close are you guys? Don't follow them. They're crazy. But I believe that God has a purpose and a plan for a local body to change the world. And every person that I've ever learned from that God has used has started just like us. Everybody's journey is different, but they all started just like us. And then this is the promise that I have made as your pastor, as what we would say your spiritual your spiritual advisor, like you have a financial advisor. Here's what I say as your spiritual advisor. What you invest into the kingdom of God, you'll never regret. The dividends are good. You will receive back into your life throughout these years. I wish I had time, but I know I've gone too long. The second service, will keep them there for two or three hours. Is that okay? For just you guys, we'll get you out now. But for them, I think I'm going to tell them the whole story. Here it is. What happened over these years? Young adults got saved off drugs, off cutting themselves. Some from lesbian, bisexual, transgender backgrounds. Married children. Those who didn't know the Lord now know the Lord received callings to become leaders. Missionaries have been sent out. We've done mission work through our church here. The Philippines was the last mission place we just went to. All of the gospel preaching that's going on, it is working. It's bearing fruit. It's encouraging. Guys, everyone look up at me, please. I remember most of you before you were saved. Isn't that a mind, like a mind trip? Now, many of you have come here saved and sanctified, and we love you because you're not as messy, okay? I remember, Lauren, I remember Lauren throwing down a pack of cigarettes at the altar, getting it from her car because she's like, I don't want to smoke anymore. And I'm like, you got any cigarettes? Go get them. Now I would have you go get that Hulu, Zulu, whatever that thing is. Go get that Zulu, whatever you call that vaping thing. We're going to break it right here. I remember her before she was saved. I remember you, Jason, coming here just newly saved after a high school club reached you. Billy, I remember you coming being wild, a wild child. Man, I could just go through the testimonies here. Carlos, Carlos, raise your hand for me, my brother. I remember Carlos coming as the father of Bertha, not knowing much about church, not knowing much about Jesus. And man, if you ever want to see man hands, look at Carlos's man hands. Sometimes I feel like a little, little mijo, little mijo. Hello, papi, shake my hand. My hand is so soft. You know, and then like I do work with him one day and I'm like, uh, <clears throat> I've got the black lung. <clears throat> my blisters, my blisters. But he shakes your hand and he just goes, come here, brother. And he gives you a hug. I remember him when he didn't know the Lord. We baptized Carlos here. Come on. This, this young man right here that I, that I love, would you just raise your hand as I look at you and I remember your name because I always forget names when I'm on the spot. Just tell me your name again. Yes, you. Yes. Josh, I'm so sorry I forgot your name. How long have we known each other, Josh? How many years? 13 years and I forgot his name. Pray for me. 
I look at my kids, Bethany, Hannah, Lucas, Zoe, Joy, come here. This is me today. Pray for me, okay? Josh, I remember you coming because Vanessa invited you. That's what I remember. And I remember us going out to eat when I was able to hang out with everybody after church and sitting down at that, that uh, Asian restaurant and sitting across from you. And you were telling me, man, I've been wanting to get close to God, but I don't know how. Man, thank you for coming. And I forgot your name, but I love you so much. Oh, God, I love everybody here. Sue Ellen, raise your hand back there, Sue Ellen. Sue Ellen knew us from the other church. So as I started this church, some people heard about us. They're like, oh, he started a church. I'm going to come check him out. But when they would come, I'd be like, no, you don't belong here. Go back to that other church. This is, a, this is not like this. You need to go get your pastor's blessing and permission. And then sometimes they would look like that little lost cat that just needed a little bit of milk. They would look at me and be like, but pastor, I don't know anybody at that church. You were the only one that I knew as a youth pastor. This is, this, <laughs> this is Sue Ellen. I didn't know anybody there. Can you please let me come to this church? And I'm like, you better be ready. I'll do my best. And then we start to disciple them, you know. And uh, she tells her testimony, and I just say it, but I just love her so much because at one time she came to me, and she goes, I haven't been telling you all the truth. I'm a bad girl. I've been doing all of these naughty things. And I said, Sue Ellen, you're going back to 101. That's how people say I talk. Sue Ellen, you're going back to 101. You won't work with our children until you're a disciple. My wife will take over again. So then she goes back and she's like, Jesus, I want to be a disciple. Change my heart so I'm not a naughty girl. And, and then she becomes a warrior. She becomes a warrior for Jesus. Hallelujah. She don't have no most secrets. She's not a naughty girl. My man, Victor, in the back. Big Victor, raise up your hand. Come on, you better raise it up or I'm going to body slam you. <laughs> oh, Vince. <laughs> That's what he's like. he's like. He's like this, and I'm like thinking he's saying, I ain't raising my hand. He's saying, that's not my name. Everybody today will have at least three or four prayer requests for me on it, like in your prayer list. I'm praying for my pastor in these three ways today, that he'll never go bankrupt again, that he'll remember people's name. <laughs> Victor! So, is that his name? Is Victor? <laughs> Vicente, Vicente, my favorite, my favorite one, <laughs> who I think of often. I think of him often. I love him so much. Vicente, mi corazón belongs to you. <laughs> Such a spoiled moment here. I've ruined the romantic moment, but let's keep going. Let's just pretend that didn't happen. I remember Vicente coming when I could still beat him up when he was just a little small dude, a teenager. How old were you when you first started coming? 18 years old. Maybe I could have beaten him up. He probably still would have got me then, slapped me around a little bit. This is my name. Don't ever forget it. But I've watched him 
fall in love more and more with his wife, raise his children right. They left for a little bit. They testified. I'm not telling on anybody. Left for a little bit and then said, wherever we go, we're not going back to Metro Praise. If we find another church, that's not our church because Jared's going to want to disciple me. Jared's going to want to be all up in my business. And so I'm going to want to sit at this church where they just ignore me, you know. But then their daughter kept calling out for Susie and the children's ministry. And God brought them. And then guess who discipled him? Jared. Now he's a deacon in the house of God. And his name is Vicente. Get it right. Let's all stand up together. Augustine, would you come, please? Band and altar workers, would you come? One, uh, first, a second service. We'll get you in here in just a second. Jerry, guys, look at Jerry found a flyer. This is Jerry. Jerry found a flyer at a bar, came to a grand opening service at the, at the Irving Park. She's the, one of the best things that came out of Irving Park right here. Augustine, I used to pick him up from his house to bring him to the youth group. Augustine, right here as a young teenager. Come on, somebody. We have stories up in this place. And if we weren't here when you got saved, we love you just as much. Because I remember when people found us, too. Like, like Aguila Iris right here. Iris, right? I'm getting that name right today. Don't want to make you mad. Do not want to get on your bad side today. That will not be good. I just remember her coming in, and she's like, my church is too far. You guys opened up down by my house. I'm coming to church. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a great reason, but we'll take you, you know. But then she said, no, but really, I'm looking for a church that's going to use me, put my gifts into action. And at that time, you know, we were kind of like a little bit embarrassed. We're like, you know, you don't want to say it, but you have to kind of say it like, we don't have anybody as old as you. So uh, somebody as close to your age is going to disciple you. So seriously, I'm so serious. So we would look around the church and be like, Lauren, how old are you? No, okay. Uh, how old are you? No, okay. Who's the oldest here? Who ended up discipling you? Yeah, Cynthia. With like, Cynthia's like my age. So it's like, Cynthia, you're the closest disciple. She's still young, by the way. You get my point here. But here's my thing. She didn't give up on us. She didn't go, well, you're a young adult church. Her church was very formal, very put together, Christmas pageants, you know. Um, and so she came. And she was faithful, and she became a disciple. And she was, I think at that time, I don't know if she likes this award, but you got it, the oldest graduating disciple of our, of, of our church. Amen. Amen. They don't know if to clap or just, you know, because they don't want to offend you. But, but she became like the oldest one, like, man, here we go. We got an Iwela now. We got one, devil. Take that. Take that, devil. We're not just going to be a church of young adults who stays up to 3 in the morning evangelizing on Belmont and Clark. We got a Noela. She makes the best of those cucandules. She prays like the old school prayer workers. You know, she knows how to pray and watch through the night. Amen. Praise God. I'll be here all day. Maybe just one more testimony. Second service, you guys can come in. You know who we are and what we do. We're weird and awkward. James's sister came to the church. James, raise your hand out of the, what, bisexual lifestyle? I hope I got that right. No, no. <laughs> if this, as if it couldn't get worse with wrong names. As if it couldn't get worse. Why am I not stopping ahead? I've never been ahead. I'm trying to get ahead. It's not worth. 
So James has never struggled with bisexuality, but, but he was suicidal. That's the testimony. That's the testimony. Someone else struggled with bisexuality who looks a lot like you that I will not mention, that I know their name. Are they here? I don't know if they want me to say it. I won't say it. Anyways, I'm not going to out them in the church, but they testify all the time. James, suicidal. From the t- attempted suicidal to the mental institution to the church, what was the time frame of that? But what date? Okay, when were you in the mental hospital? So six months later, he gives his heart to Jesus, never to go back again. Amen? Amen. Adolfo, is it okay if I tell your testimony, man of God, bisexual, was friends with Juan? Did you know Juan from that lifestyle or is it from the other stuff? But you, say it again. Yeah, so you knew each other in that lifestyle. But now you're married. How many children do you have? Two? Three children. Give it up for Adolfo. People say it doesn't work. God works every time. Amen. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for what you're doing here. Use us for your glory. Save us.